Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. Well, if you have a Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 22 and verse 15. And I want to share a message with you today that I'm so deeply passionate about. I really do believe that if you would open your heart to God's Word today, you could find the heart of God in what we're about to communicate in these next few minutes of our service. Where this message came from was actually my amazing wife, Jillian, who's in in the uh, auditorium with me right now, was preaching a message about two weeks ago. And in the middle of her message, I felt the Holy Spirit just speak to me. And He said, John, I want you to relay the foundations. So I wrote it down in my notebook where I was taking notes from her awesome message, Relay the Foundations. And I began to ask the Lord what He meant. And He said to me, I want you to relay all of the foundational culture that got a rise to where it is. Because we're, we're launching out as a church into a second wave. But we are not going to build a rise with different values than the ones we founded in. Our style will change. But our values are what got us here and they need to be at the center of what God is going to do in these coming days. And today I want to speak to you literally. If I have one message, one opportunity to bring thoughts to you on how Arise has been able to move forward, what our heartbeat is as a church that we really value, I would give you this talk. And I really believe that what God's about to speak into our lives today is going to equip us, it's going to inspire us, and it's going to breathe upon us. So I want you to read with me in Luke chapter 22, a passage where Jesus speaks in the middle of what is known as the Last Supper. This is what Jesus said. But the Scripture says, Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray, open your word. Open our hearts. Speak to us today in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you that you are a God who loves us. Thank you that you're a God who invites relationship with us. I thank you that you're moving in our hearts, moving in our lives. So illuminate your word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. As we read this passage of Scripture, Jesus is on the eve of His crucifixion. Literally the next day is the day that Jesus is put on trial before Pontius Pilate and then is given over to be crucified by the Jews. This is literally His last moments that He has on planet Earth. You can imagine that Jesus in this moment is a person with a lot going on in his mind. Later on this very night, Jesus prayed until he literally sweated drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can imagine that this is an intense time for Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I'm in intense times, I think all of us, we tend to go internal, don't we? We tend to think about ourselves and we begin to push people away. Yet here we find Jesus in the last hours of his life on this planet, and we have Jesus saying to his disciples, I have 
been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you. We find Jesus in the closing hours of his time on this planet enjoying a meal with his disciples. Meal time, personal time, relational time. We find Jesus in this hectic, stressful, and ultimate moment is enjoying relational time with his disciples. It seems amazing to me that this is what Jesus is doing in such a crucial moment. Yet I want you to know, friends, that when you and I start to look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, and we start to think about the heart of God, in many ways, this is of no surprise to us at all. Because when we think about God, we discover very quickly about Him. When we begin to read the Bible and discover His heartbeat, we discover about our God that our God is a relational God. And not only is our God a relational God, but because He is a relational God, our faith is a relational faith. When Jesus was asked by His disciples to teach them how to pray, He responded by giving them initially two words. The first two words of the Lord's Prayer were, Our Father. When you're reading the Bible, it's important to know that that is the very first time in the Bible that God is ever described as a Father. He was Yahweh. He was Jehovah. He was God Almighty. But at this very moment, He is revealed in personality as a Father. This has tremendous impact for us as Christians because if God is a father, then that means that the kingdom of God is a family. If God's kingdom has a father, then the kingdom is a family. And if the kingdom of God is a family, then we know about families that families function relationally. So that means that if the kingdom of God is a family, then the family functions through relationships, meaning that our God is a relational God and our faith is a relational faith. The only way we can be part of our faith is to embrace a relational approach to our worship and to our lives with other people. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 is a verse we talk about a lot, especially about everybody can come to know Jesus. But this is what it says in fullness. It says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Whoever would open the door, I would come in and I would eat with him and he with me. In other words, the Bible is saying it's not just about an open life. It's about a new relationship. And Christianity has never just been about a worship service that you attend. It has never been simply about reading the Bible and having a prayer life. It has been about living and welcoming an environment of relationship into your life. God is a relational God and our faith is a relational faith. Not just a relationship with God, but I talked about it a few weeks ago, how it's about loving God and it's about loving people. And when our faith begins to connect with any person's life, they are not just awakened to a relationship with God, but they begin to extend those relationships out to other people. When I was first set on fire for God, I was praying and praying and praying because I believed that God wanted to move. I, I just sensed that there was so much more of God. I spent hours in prayer. 
And what happened to me was that the more I prayed to God, every time I would pray, I would begin to see the faces of people. I want you to understand, I was drawing closer to God and God was showing me the faces of people. The closer you get to God, the more you love people. I would say to you, my friend, if you are professing that you love God, but you don't love people, you need to get on your knees until you do. Because when you draw close to God, you will automatically fall in love with people. When I started to, you know, uh, in, in my journey of ministry, I started by teaching evangelism. This is what I did with my first four years. I would go out there and I would teach people how to share their faith. And about three years into it, I began to have a crisis of calling. Because I was out there telling people about how they could share their faith with others. And we would go out in the streets and I knew how to unlock a conversation and give you the steps to peace with God. And, you know, I knew how to share the tracks and give out the information, spark the conversation. But we were just seeing so few people that were actually connecting to our faith. So then I began to read and I began to research and I began to study. And I was awakened to something that was termed friendship evangelism. And it was a, simply a term to highlight the fact that when evangelism is separated from relationship, it is 95% less successful. So at the end of that year, it was one of the reasons why I became a local church youth pastor was to say, I recognize that Christianity doesn't work, that the gospel doesn't have an impact if all we're doing is trying to share our faith with people devoid of relationship. But when you combine relationship and faith, then the church has an impact in the world that truly begins to bring. What we need is we need a church that is full of people that are welcoming others into their world, embracing people, living out loud making sure that their lounge rooms are filled, making sure that their lunch times aren't solo, making sure that they're embracing other people into their lives. This is how the church has potency and power because Jesus said, the last thing I want to do with my disciples is have a meal with them. He said, this is my priority is relationship. And God said, if you would open your life to me, we will have a relationship. We're going to have meal time together. And the way that the church is founded, the way that our lives come alive in Christ is the way that other people are impacted too. We have to embrace a relational faith, a relational church. We have to do lives with other people. When we began Arise Church, it's no, it's no secret that really coming from the fact that I had learned, I had been convicted by the reality that the church only works with strong relationships that I've been frustrated over three years and then pivoted my whole direction towards saying the faith that we share makes an impact in the lives of others when it is shared in an environment of relationship. It meant that when we started Arise, every Sunday morning I would get up at five in the morning and I would go off to the church building 
to set up the initial PA system, a Mackie 500 PA system. We're putting out chairs and setting up, setting up, you know, the seats and everything like that. And while I was doing that at the building with Jess Stanway, my wife Jillian would get up and she would be, you know, putting on this massive crock pot, a slow cooker, filling it up with chicken wings or, you know, pork, pork pieces or whatever, putting in the sweet and sour. I can, I can taste a good crock pot meal right now. She'd get that crock pot loaded up with meat, put it on for a four or five hour cook time, got a rice cooker, got that all ready to turn on the moment that we got home from church. And then we would go off to church. And literally every single Sunday for a year, we would go around the foyer and we would just say, hey, do you want to come to our place for lunch? Do you want to come to our place for lunch? Do you want to come to our place for lunch? And listen, just 98% of the people, we would invite them all back. One or two, we just strangely just didn't select them. But you know, basically everybody invited them back to our place for lunch. And then the whole church would come over. And then we would just have these lunches that would last almost the rest of the day. Sometimes at, at three, four in the afternoon, I'd be tired from preaching one sermon to 30 people, you know. So I would go upstairs, have a little nap, come back down. Nobody even knew I'd left. I thought it had a long toilet break or something. They were, they were all still hanging out in their lounge room. They were just there all day. That's how we built the church. It was how we did it because we recognized that it could never be just about people coming to a church service. It had to be about a relational faith. So many of the people that are still key to everything that Arise does were the people that were in that home in that first year, having those long lunches and forming deep relational bonds. When Arise was three years old, we were about 800 people by this stage. And Julie and I went away on holiday and we came back at the end of the holiday. This is in January. And I guess maybe I've been tired for a few months. I don't know. It was very exhausting pioneering a church. But I was suddenly mentally clear. And I got to church on this one Sunday morning in January. And I stood there at the Tafaya Dance and Drama Center in Newtown. And I watched people arrive to church. And something within me was disquieted. Because people were coming to church, but they were arriving alone. And then I stood in the foyer at the end of the service and I watched people leaving and they were leaving alone. I went home that afternoon and to be honest, I was disquieted. I was actually, uh, Julian will tell you, I was actually quite grumpy. And I had a rest and I got ready for the night service. I came back to church that night and I stood in the foyer before the service and I watched it and it was happening again. People were arriving alone and they were leaving alone. At the end of the service, I watched them. What are you doing now? I'm just heading home. And people were leaving alone. And this church that we had founded in long lunches and community and supporting one another had suddenly become less cohesive. It had become separate. Something had happened and I didn't like it. And that night, Jillian went to bed and I stayed up. I stayed up until about four in the morning. And at three o'clock in the morning, I grabbed my journal in a moment of clarity and I wrote in my journal, we will build a hangout church. We will not build a church where people come to church for a church service and then go back to their own solitary lives. We will build a church where you come with your friends, where you are welcomed into a community, where you sit with others during the church service, and then afterwards, the foyer is a place where you hang out for an hour, then you're off to a lunch where you're enjoying life with other people. I will not build a church that is a place for people to come to get the word and then go 
go back to their own lives. We're not building a church of individuals. We're going to build a worship community. And it was for us a moment of clarity. And my friend, I want you to know about Arise Church, that Arise is a hangout church. We are not just a church of services and of functions. We are a church of community, of relationship. We do life with other people. That's the kind of church that we are. That's why we're committed to large foyers. That's why we're committed to spending time with other people. The greatest ministry we do in Arise Church is not the pulpit. It's the time that we invest in other people. That's the vehicle of healing. That's the way of inclusion. That's how we help people to change their lives. We are a relational church because our God is a relational God. You know when God wanted to bring salvation to us, He lived among us. When God desired to bring salvation, He did not do it remotely. That's going to tell you something. He didn't sit at a you know, 50,000 foot view and say, I'm shouting out the pathway to salvation. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But the Bible says that He dwelt among us. In order to bring change and healing, Jesus chose among. And my friends, in order for us to bring change and healing to anybody's life, one thing is required. Among. There's no such thing as remote ministry. It's personal. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, and he said, I long to see you, that I may impart to you some kind of spiritual gift that will make you strong. And whenever we want to see the people's lives made better, listen, COVID has restricted us, right? Many of us, in fact, people in Auckland are shut in their homes and unable to interact physically with people. But let's acknowledge that that remoteness comes with an impact, not a positive one. It's affecting people's mental health. It's affecting our well-being. The first thing God ever said negative about humanity was he looked on at Adam before he created Eve and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so God created Eve for Adam, but then when God wanted to bring further healing, he saw our sin, he saw our human condition, he saw that we were lost and broken and, and grappling in the darkness. And so the Bible says that he stepped into our world and he embraced among. And arise, if we want to have an impact in the lives of others, I believe that the church can change the world. But it will never change the world if it's the nuclear family with a shut door. It'll never change the world if it is the Christian clique without room for another person. It'll never change the world if we are unwilling to open up our hearts and our lives to other people. Christianity is powerful when Christianity is relational. You know, Jesus saved me, but it's the church that empowered me. When I was 18 years old, I got saved, and when I got saved, my conversion was radical. I had to immediately change my behavior, my lifestyle, the things that I was doing in a significant and radical way. 
It meant for me that I needed more than just a WWJD bracelet, a New Testament with Psalms and Proverbs, and a salvation prayer. When I said yes to Jesus, I needed somebody to hang out with on Tuesday. I needed somebody who was going to give me an option for Friday. I needed somebody that was going to help me to walk the journey. And I'm so grateful for Bevan Herangi and Gerard Backhouse-Smith, two Māori boys who embraced me into the youth group, said, you can hang out with us. And I spent my time with these two fledgling friends in that little youth group. And the truth is, friends, Jesus saved me, but the church empowered me. And every single Sunday in every Arise campus, there is a John Cameron walking in the doors of your service, your local, who is saying, I don't just need somebody to tell me about Jesus. I need somebody to take me to lunch. I need somebody who's going to help me to have family dinner on a Tuesday. Because if I don't have you, all I've got is the pub. If I don't have you, all I have is the people that hang out with all my drug background. I need somebody that is going to open up their life to me in order for my life to be changed. That's the kind of church that we are determined to be. Jesus' primary focus when he was on this planet was time with his disciples. When you look at Jesus, you would quickly uh, realize about Jesus that he spent most of his time with his disciples. He preached sermons to crowds that got a very small portion of his energy. He gave the crowds his touch and he gave the disciples his time. He invested his life in those disciples. He recognized that the grandeur of the platform was never going to be the thing that would change the world. When we come to a church service, let's just realize that just the fact that the worship was awesome is not gonna actually be the thing that's gonna cause our church to grow. I believe in having great church, but at the end of the day, our church actually has grown by 20% in small groups during the COVID lockdown on any year that we've ever had before. And the reason why is because our church was never built. We, you might have thought it was, but it was never built because of a dynamic church service. It was always about a strong community. And as we dream of going forward, we need to dream of a church that is about a strong community. Jesus said, I'm going to preach some sermons, but I'm going to invest the lion's share of my time and energy in these disciples. Because if I can invest my life in them, then their lives will be different and they will change the world. And it's the people we invest time in that's going to really make the greatest difference of anything that we do on this planet. My pastor taught me, he said, John, the greatest ministry you'll ever do in your life will be in your home. Hear that, Christian. The greatest ministry you'll ever do is not going to be in a pulpit, it's going to be in your home. And here's the thing, everybody can open up their home. Jesus, when we think about Jesus, he prayerfully selected 12 people that would be in his life. It amazes me to know that only one thing ever kept Jesus awake at night. We find it in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, where it says, He appointed 12 that they, the 12, might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Before Jesus appointed them, he prayed all night. In other words, the only thing that kept Jesus awake at night was being intentional about the people that were going to be closest to him. He appointed 12 that those 12 might be with him. 
Let me ask you this. Are you prayerful about your clique? I don't think any person can truly have more than 12 significant people in their lives. And everybody needs 12 people that are in their lives, some of whom need you for them to grow in the faith that God is wanting them to grow in in their life. Everybody needs to be welcoming other people into their world. Jesus was prayerful about the people that were closest to him in his life. The early church had four devotions when it began. Did you know that? In the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves. In other words, these were their devotions, and here they are. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The early church had four devotions. Most Christians fall in the trap. A lot of Christians fall in the trap of having two devotions. They devote themselves to saying, I'll come to church on a regular basis. That's the apostles' teaching. And I'll devote myself to prayer. I'll acknowledge there is a supernatural God that I'm going to turn to in moments that I need Him. But the Bible says the early church devoted themselves to four devotions. They devoted themselves to coming to church on a regular basis. That's the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. That means that they had a life group that they were part of, that they were helping other people to find healing and wholeness in their spiritual journey. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. In other words, they didn't just have structured time. They had hangout time. They did meals together. They did lunches. They did breakfast. They did suppers. They spent time in relationship with others. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Two of their devotions were about small groups and meals. Two of their devotions were about being intentional about relationships. And church, if we would embrace all four devotions, if we'd be found in God's house every single weekend, if we'd be planted in a small group so we can grow in our faith and help other people grow, if we would make sure that after church services, Friday nights, we're doing meals with people, doing life with people, and if we would be a prayerful people, I believe the impact of the early church could be our impact as well. But to do it, we have to embrace the fact that our faith is a relational faith because our God is a relational God. It's about God and people. The early apostles shared not only the gospel, but they shared their lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, this is what Paul wrote. He said, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Arise, hear that. They said, man, when we want to bring the gospel to you, we're not just doing it with a message saying, you need to turn or burn. And then we're just going to go away and say, well, now it's up to you whether you respond at all. They said, no, we want to share with you the gospel, and then we want to get so close to you relationally that the message actually is embodied in the person that we are so that we can see the healing power of God touch your life and arise. The gospel has much greater impact when it's conveyed in the context of relationship. It's 95% more successful 
when it's incarnational. The gospel works when the church has an open heart. The gospel works when families have an extra few seats at the meal table. The gospel works when my clique isn't closed. The gospel works. It changes lives. Because here's the thing, church. The church is not described in Ephesians 1 as being God's voice. It's described as being God's hands and feet. We must proclaim the gospel, but with our lives as well. By the fact that we're welcoming other people into our world. Arise, my heart still beats. Every time I come to an Arise service, I'm thinking things like this. Nobody comes alone, nobody leaves alone. At Arise Church, nobody sits alone. We are not an attend church and then go home church. We are a hangout church. And by the way, some weeks you might have your extended family for a lunch after church, but not every Sunday. You don't get to turn your family in on itself. We need to make sure that every healthy family has got people that are helping to discover healthy family. We need to make sure every young adult is welcoming some other people into their relationship circle. We need to make sure that when you roll up at youth at Arise Church, we don't ignore you if you don't have the right kicks. We are the church that opens hearts. We are the church that opens homes. And that's why we are the church that has seen thousands and thousands of people give their lives to Jesus Christ. And Arise, as God is speaking to us about relaying the foundations, I want to just stir your heart. Let's be a relational church together in the mighty name of Jesus. I mean, in Auckland, you're in lockdown. In the rest of the nation, we're in gatherings of 100. But you know what? Everybody can be involved in sowing seeds of relationship sending communication of love. Everybody can welcome other people into their lives. Let's make it our prayer when we get to church on a Sunday. Not just, Lord, what do I get from the sermon? But Lord, what do you want me to minister to in the life of somebody else? It doesn't have to be heavy and it doesn't have to be hard. It can be, let's have coffee. Let's get a milkshake. I feel like one right now. Let's spend time together. Jesus said, I have been very eager. I have been very eager just to share a meal with you. Let's pray, shall we? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for the promise of your word. I thank you, Lord, that you're the God who cares about us so much that you moved into our neighborhood care. You get involved. You open your heart. You open your home. You open your arms. You welcomed us. May it be said about Arise that it's impossible to get a seat by yourself in an Arise auditorium. Let it be said about Arise Church. It's impossible not to have 15 people come up and say hello in a foyer. Let it be said of Arise Church, it's impossible 
that you don't get invited to three lunches before you walk out the end of a service on a Sunday morning, two suppers before you leave on a Sunday night. Let it be said of Arise that this is a welcoming, embracing, relational church of worshipers of Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at arisechurch and at johncameronnz.